Good afternoon, good morning, everyone, wherever you're um, joining from the world. Uh, my name is Mike Collier. I'm the Director of Human Performance at McLaren. Um, I've got about 15, 20 years worth of applied uh, science experience, um, qualified as a sports scientist way back, um, and also uh, a qualified physiotherapist. I've worked in clinical setting at the NHS, uh, spent a little bit in, um, of time in Premier League football before spending the majority of my, my professional career working for uh, working in Formula One teams, starting in 2008 at uh, Honda Formula One, uh, 2009 uh, at Braun, and where I was uh, Jensen Button's performance director and helped him win the World Championship. And when he joined McLaren in 2010, he took me with him, and I've been with McLaren ever since. In 2017, I I left the world of, of Formula One, much to my wife and children's pleasure, and uh, took up a more of a, a strategic commercial role at McLaren Applied Technologies, which is the innovation arm of McLaren, looking at ways in which it can apply its uh, core competence in data analytics, simulation, modeling, and prediction into other industries outside of Formula One. And uh, that's where we, uh, we look at ways in which we can democratize human performance and actually have a strategic partnership with Rodrigo and his company, which is probably a nice segue into uh, allowing Rodrigo to introduce himself, perhaps. Thanks, Michael. Rodrigo, before you start, could you um, make the rest of us moderators? So if you click on each of our uh, faces, there should be an add moderator um, button. Sorry, was that for me or was that for Rodrigo? Uh, no, that was for Rodrigo, and he's doing that excellently. Thanks, Rodrigo. Please go ahead. Good evening, everyone, or good good morning. Um, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here for my first time. Um, my name is Rodrigo Jesus. I'm the CEO of Salus Optima, a software and data company you get to know more about um, later. Uh, my background has been in software, my entire career, 25 years in software. I'm an engineer by background, mechatronics, robotics. Um, I run software companies where I come from South America, Brazil and the US. And uh, my, um, my expertise is around enterprise software, uh, complex, uh, mission critical uh, software for um, enterprise solutions, but also consumer. As Mike uh, just described, we have a a strategic partnership with McLaren and our mission is to democratize access to human performance. So how do we um, democratize elite sport methodologies and results to the masses and to tackle real life issues? Pleasure to be here. Thanks, Rodrigo. Um, so here, but I think everyone knows you, but please go ahead and uh, give a quick intro. Hey, Professor Cotter. Hey, Rodrigo and Michael. So I'm Sohei Bimtiaz, I'm a medical doctor uh, based in the UK, I'm the founder of the Human Behaviour Club and very interested in human performance um, and that's kind of what I am kind of most interested in that we don't really cover in medical school but very interested in the physiology and the technologies we can use to enhance human performance from a mental perspective but also from a physical perspective. So that's something that has fascinated me for quite a few years and I guess Clubhouse enables me to interact with people. I guess Professor Kothar gets on like Michael and Rodrigo who are kind of pushing those boundaries and those frontiers. So I am really interested for today's talk. I mean, McLaren is one of the big names and uh, I like to see how some of 
I guess I look at football teams and how they do some of the performance coaching and how they kind of work to track analytics on their athletes. So yes, this is going to be really good. So welcome everyone and uh, do give Professor Kothra a follow as well for kind of setting this up. Thanks, uh, Soheb. And um, I do think that Human Behaviour Club, which now has around half a million followers, we're just under, is really uh, doing a lot to democratise some of the really um, deep insights into health and wellness. So um, well done for setting that up, Soheb. So um, let's talk about human performance. What do we really mean? What are the elements of human performance? So Michael or Rodrigo, either of you like to... Um, starts with that. Yeah, perhaps I'll, I'll start, and then Rodrigo, you can um, add anything that, that I feel I've missed. So, um, I mean, human performance is, is is all encompassing, and I think that particularly from from those that that, that are perhaps following him, they'll have a variety of different sort of slants and takes on that. You know, I, I've spent a long period of my career working at, at the elite end, and now actually, you know, we, we've spoken about. The democratization of it. Fundamentally, we're trying to obviously give it, put it in the hands of, of as many people as we possibly can. And, and and the reason being is because when you when you're working with an elite sport performer, you are fundamentally trying to make uh, very very small improvements in their performance. Their baseline is already incredibly high, and you are looking for that 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 extra one or two percent across a variety of different areas. If you drop that then into uh, the likes of you and I, uh, our baselines are nowhere near as, 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 as high and therefore our, our ability to make gain is far greater. We're nowhere near our, our optimal, we're nowhere near our performance. And the main things really that we uh, tend to, to focus on, when I say we, both McLaren and, and South Optima, centres around sort of four key areas, but I, I'd caveat that with the fact that we would always look at trying to understand the use case that we're working because, you know, life's complex. We are complex in, individuals and therefore we don't always nicely fall into these into these buckets. But we generally speaking look at things from a from a movement point of view. Now, movement could be, you know, exercise or it could very simply be movement efficiency or, or, or variants of that. So movement being one of them. Nutrition. Is, is another key element to so the types of things we put into our bodies to keep us fit, healthy, well, uh, to help us recover, to be able to help us um, you know, be able to function on, on, a, on a day-to-day basis. Um, recovery is our third area that we, that we look at, which is gaining great, um, great uh, I guess, traction in the sort of consumer health, wellness and performance space. And then, and then the final bit really is around this sort of uh, the, the, the mental state of the individual, and, and obviously that also has gained great traction following uh, following the pandemic, following COVID nineteen, and, and stresses and strains that has put on people. So we will effectively look to blend all of those elements, and then look to try and give you know personalised recommendations through the platform and the capability that, uh, that uh, Sales Optima and Rodrigo and his team have uh, have created. And just to complement on that, I think uh, the, the concept is to actually make a better version of, of ourselves. So um, how do you use those four pillars uh, interconnected to create a better version of ourselves? So uh, I think uh, there's a lot of um, hype around uh, biohacking and um, 
but there's a lot that we can do with very simple recommendations and changing behavior um, and, and trying to incorporate good behavior and habits. So that's very much where we think the, uh, we can get the best out of uh, human performance. So don't, don't think of human performance as something for just the realms of the elite sports, the uh, Olympic athletes, because we take that to real life problems. It could be uh, a mum that's going to give birth. It could be someone recovering for that. It can be in women's health, again, uh, how to deal with menopause or um, in the millennial population, how do you prevent uh, comorbidities to happen? So um, human performance is pretty much how we improve all biomarkers and be healthy and happier. Um that's a really lovely way to put it, uh, Rodrigo. So human performance is for everyone, really. Um, and the name performance, we, we think of that as the elite athlete, but really uh, we're talking about, I think uh, I borrowed the term from yourselves in some of your work, um, everyday athletes uh, like us. Um, so we've had, um, we focus a lot on health and wellness and how we use health technology um, to improve our health and we've had we have whoop um, uh, will ahmed from the founder of whoop he's been on a few times we have eight sleep um, who have tools and technology for improving sleep they are a regular contributor um, in this uh, club we have form nutrition and i think i see damien in the audience who is also a regular contributor looking at um, how we all optimize our nutrition so let's dig a little bit deeper maybe into those four pillars of performance. So what should we be measuring and, and what changes should we be making in each one of those areas? Would you like me to, to, to kick that one off perhaps with a, with, with maybe a, um, a, a, a an example close to home? Would that be helpful? Yes, great. Yeah, Examples okay, great. and stories always work. <laughs> yeah, no problem. So... Um, in 2015, uh, McLaren had its worst uh, Formula One year in its sort of 60 plus year history. And we finished nine, nine out of 10. And there's a deep dive into the overall uh, cause and effects associated with that. Now, there, there, there's never one thing that, that will impact the overall performance of a, of a Formula One team. But what we did see was that uh, we saw um, an increase in. Uh, medical trackside interventions over the course of that year by comparison to, to other years. And that was coupled with um, a decrease in overall physical um, physical status of, of, of the race team. So things such as uh, their, their um, cardiovascular capabilities, their strength, endurance, um, things around BMI, uh, resting heart rates, uh, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what that then led us to really was to look at ways in which we could naturally reverse this uh, less than favorable trend. And we put together a, uh, a short program to fundamentally test whether we could actually make, make, make changes, make differences. We stratified the, uh, we assessed and stratified the, the racing, the population, and we put them through a six to eight week, uh, what I would consider a more traditional face-to-face -face exercise type program. Uh, the results that we saw following that were were uh, significant improvements in a short space of time. We had about 4% dropout in our program, which is a um, complete night and day different to, to industry standard. 62% uh, uh, reduction in BMI, 50% increase in cardiovascular fitness, 100% increase in mobility, and, and, and the stats go on. But the challenge we faced was that actually our race team 
are highly mobile, uh, highly um, um, complex group of individuals, mixed age, mixed race, mixed gender, completely different backgrounds of and doing completely different tasks at work. And uh, what we felt or what we hoped we would be able to do was continue with this traditional approach to delivering a service. However, because of those issues, we actually were unable to have consistent uh, contact with them. And as a result, um, the overall improvements that we saw started to wane. Okay, so that, that, that's a common problem the world over. Um, in 2019, there was a, 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 an increased push and an overall strategic approach to um, health performance and sustainability of our workforce and new people appointed. And one of the key performance differentiators in Formula One from a, from a racing point of view is, uh, is experience because you have to be able to make tough decisions in a tough environment with very little notice and, and warning and experience is key. So we want to ensure that we can keep hold of the best people for as long as we possibly can. Um, in 2020, started working with South Optima and um, what we effectively did was a deep dive on the overall uh, issues, challenges, needs and wants of the race team. And that effectively was a um, across the board, a holistic approach to uh, or we needed to deliver a holistic approach to address those challenges. We saw issues around um, uh, um, uh, travel fatigue, uh, sleep, uh, um, sleep and jet lag, and burnout, mental health, um, uh, issues around nutrition, um, musculoskeletal, etc., etc. All the things you would probably expect to, to find in in the working uh, population across the across the globe. And so, effectively, what we have done, we ha you know, we can't just wave a magic wand and go, we're going to address all these problems um, in in the blink of an eye. What we have, however, done is take a pragmatic approach to understanding what is the key priority for the race team. And actually, and you, you only get that by engaging with the end user and that actually um, was what we've done and the major focus for us to begin with is centers around sleep and travel fatigue because the first five races of the 2021 Formula 1 season are uh, from a time zone point of view they do not fall into a jet lag um, um, uh, um, um, I guess definition as it were so sleep and travel fatigue is the major focus for us and effectively what we do is we then pull together uh, best-in-class scientists to help us understand pull together programs that would help to alleviate those issues and then we build uh, the right type of content we understand the right type of data that we want to be able to collect to be able to then personalize that on a race by race day by day basis based on best-in-class science but also from the data that we're receiving from mobile and wearable because that then gives us a, a, um, a personalized level based on population best-in-class science so from that this is a, a three-year roadmap for us uh, on the 27th of this month there will be a, a press release associated with our work from that and actually that the, the MVP of the product um, is in the hands of the race team as we speak because what we want to be able to do is refine this over time and get it as good as we possibly can before we move on to the next thing. So instead of doing everything a bit um, half-arsed, we want to make sure that we do one thing right before we move on because that offers value. And probably the, the natural question would be, well, surely all of these things are already available. Well, the reality is, is that the due diligence that we undertook in order before we selected Salus Optima to do this realize actually that every you know, 
that most people's solutions were fixed and set and, and fixed for the consumer as opposed to being fixed, uh, something that could be adapted for the needs of our race team. And that fundamentally is that um, probably one of the USPs really about the partnership between Salesoft and, and, and McLaren is that the pro their, their products are designed to be bespoke to the needs of the user. Um, and so over the course of the next uh, three years, sleep obviously is the first focus area, but we will be rolling out other areas associated with uh, the challenges that the race team faced in accordance with a priority list, but only done so based on the feedback that we receive um, from the race team. Hopefully that's a, a rather long answer to a short question, but just gives, a, a, I guess, a, um, some context to, to, to the question of what would you do from a, from a, um, a human performance perspective to address a problem. Uh, building on that, I think uh, one of the key elements for a, um, a good human performance strategy is to personalization. So um, I think that if we compare to reality and the clinical setting especially, I think we there's a, uh, an urgent need to shift from uh, disease management into self-care. And that's what uh, human performance lends itself for. So talking about what Mike just described, so rather than having a, a rigid clinical pathway, which we know people don't adhere to, how about having a, an ad hoc, personalized, holistic approach? So, and how do we help people? Because we know that life gets in the way. So just asking people to eat more veggies and, and, and to, to do more workouts, we know it doesn't, it doesn't work. And hence the harm formation and the um, behavior change. But if we take into account the fact that medicine itself is moving towards personalization, that's where we want to be. So rather than just utilizing longitudinal data to try to stratify people, we want to personalize to the granular level of the individual. That's where the magic is. And then you couple that with a ability to have a remote coaching. So in the case of McLaren, one of the main issues is highly mobile workforce, traveling the world. How do you keep sending recommendations and being in touch and create the engagement that needed to keep on the right path? So just one example for it. Um, so if we talk about sleep and a third of the American population is sleep deprived, huge issue causes so much damage and losses. How do you tackle that when you're only thinking about the circadian rhythms, for example, when we know there's a massive play for nutrition? And, and nutrition in a broad sense, it might be what you're eating, but also when you're eating it, when should be eating it, what are you eating, is it causing inflammation? All these things are highly complex. When you join the dots, human performance can become incredibly difficult and complex. So our mission, when we say democratize, is how do we make sense of data? So we bring information that is actionable for people to utilize in their lives. So I think that's the beauty of it. And that's why I'm so enthusiastic about that, because the mission is self-care, empower people, and don't need to go down the path of medication. Some great insights there. Um, I'm going to follow up with that, but Soho, if you have any comments, particularly as you do a lot of work on sleep, then please feel free to jump in. 
Um, hey, thanks, Professor Kurther. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. Um, yes, sleep seems to be the one everyone seems to be talking about right now. I guess exercising nutrition um, was something that was kind of very emphasized in the last decade or so, and a lot of people are kind of cognizant of that. But yes, yeah, sleep was kind of seen as something you could kind of miss out on. And it was seen as kind of a, an honor of like how hard you're working. So if you could say I sleep four or five hours a day, it's seen as that you're, you know, you're very alert or you're kind of someone who's kind of like Superman or Superwoman. Um, and now there's more of this kind of cultural change around emphasizing sleep in tech anyway. Um, obviously working with companies like Eight Sleep who are looking at sleep data and seeing kind of how you can optimize that part. So yeah, I know a lot of tech entrepreneurs uh, miss out on a lot of sleep. My sleep hasn't been great this year, I would say. The circadian rhythm disruption, as you guys mentioned, is pretty interesting as well. A lot of travel impacts um, a lot of your performance as well. Um, so I was working at O-Waves, um, which looked at circadian rhythms, and we looked at some studies with NFL teams and how when their circadian rhythms were disrupted, performances were worse. So even if you were traveling east or west, um, you would be worse off from a performance perspective just because of physiological changes and nothing else to do with, you know, maybe training or other factors like nutrition. So, yeah, this is really fascinating. I think what McLaren, if, if you guys are doing at, with sleep, and I know, uh, Rodrigo, your company as well, um, I think it does kind of change how people view sleep. So um, we've had many uh, tech companies uh, pass through the club and, and two recurring themes are um, the lack of personalization and um, the lack of um, involvement of behavioral change science. And um, so I don't know if you're, you're um, able to go even one, even into more granularity about the metrics that you use. So we, we talk a lot here about heart rate variability, sleep scores. So what are, what are the useful metrics for people in the audience to be tracking against those areas? Um, again, I'll, I'll perhaps I'll kick it off, and then uh, what do we go, and others can, can jump in. I think that the you know what the, we we always try and take a fairly pragmatic approach to, to this because um, you know we're 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 not at a point where we have issues around collecting data. You know, there's you know, the proliferation of mobile phones, wearable technology, uh, a variety of different types of sensors, etc. I, I I I don't think that's so much. Of the problem, and that's only going to continue anyway. Um, it's much more around actually making sure you're collecting the right thing um, to be able to to have and make some sort of um, insight from it to hopefully bring about some some sort of informed change for that for that person. One of the really interesting areas um, um, that we are looking at personalization uh, is through the lens of, of nutrition. Um, nutrition is, 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 and personalized nutrition is a, is a very hot topic at the moment. Um, and what we're, our approach to this is, is the fact that, um, certainly from a data standpoint, you go all the way, you can start really from the sort of stratification, sort of questionnaires, etc., all the way through to, to personalization and precision. If you're going to look at delivering something to the masses, the idea of, of offering a solution uh, and, and this is probably slightly controversial depending on <laughs> who's in the audience. The idea of offering a, um, a precision solution to you know, the everyday Joe on the uh, street when actually probably nutrition out of all of those pillars is the one that is the most complicated to understand 
I think is going to require a huge amount of education and training and therefore time before you get to mass adoption. Because the reality is, is that, the, 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 you know, if you were to offer a, um, a DNA test to the population, the vast majority of people that would take it up would either be the elite athlete because they're already in tune with it or probably someone that already has a medical condition. We're trying to tap into the people that aren't in any of those, any of those brackets. Therefore, what we need to be able to do is think about data from a low burden perspective. And when it comes actually to something like nutrition, you can collect actually a huge amount of information from an individual by tapping into already existing data that they already have on, on their mobile phone. Obviously, that's dependent on their consent. And then based on that, depending on, on the use case, you're able to, to, to personalize. But we, we look at personalization through the lens of a of a uh, from a holistic standpoint so what we're doing because we can because of the way in which we we've created our technology we're effectively almost te adopting like a uh, a digital therapeutic approach to uh, to personalized nutrition staying away at the moment from the the sort of precision personal uh, precision end but effectively looking at combining a physical product with a digital. So for example, if I wanted to take, um, if I had an issue and I was looking for a product in a, uh, in a supermarket or online or what have you, I would go and buy it because I have a problem. Now the reality is, is that while probably 70% of our, of our lifestyle is geared around what we eat, there's a huge amount of other things that, that, that's not such as sleep, such as recovery and such as exercise. And, and it's the interconnectivity of all of those that then impacts the, 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 I guess the outcome of that product on your body, i.e. it achieving the goal that you wanted in, in the first place. And so what we effectively are doing is combining the physical with the digital, but the actual physical product is a component of a program to help address the problem that you are looking to, uh, to address. And what that then does for the people that we're working with, the brand owners or other, is that provides Firstly, a huge amount of information, valuable information from a commercial and marketing or a new product development perspective of the, that product and that consumer. But it also, from, from, the, um, from the consumer standpoint, we're helping people to make better decisions more often in all aspects of their lifestyle, where a product is a component of that, a component of the program to help them achieve their goal. So depending on what the challenge we face dictates what data we want to um, be looking for, but we would always look at a low burden, passive data collection, rather than a high burden, active data collection, because by doing that we appeal to the masses rather than um, rather than opting for something that at this particular moment in time is quite niche. Now that's um, some great examples there. I think, um, and with human performance as well, we need to be all. We, all we do is grounded in science, and so all the programs that Mike makes reference to are all scientific and evidence based. There's a lot of uh, quackery and snake oil around uh, in in the different areas, and and I think um, um, to the to the question that the when you talk about raw data like HRV or, or, or the metrics, obviously we, we, we utilize um, a number of those um, uh, uh, data points to transform those data points into insights and personalized insights. Um, 
in my mind, uh, and um, we want this to be available to as many people as possible at the lowest cost as possible. I reckon if we ask people what HRV is, most people will have no idea. So maybe if we try to relate that back to their lives uh, and something like, do you want a, a redness score to see if you have enough energy to do what you want to do today? And you might be able to, to engage people in a much better way. And behind the scenes, you combine a number of data points and creating uh, models to predict a dropout. And that's where I think the beauty of personalization in the context of human performance lies. Equally, um, uh, Mike raised a point which I think is, is very interesting around nutrition, for example, which we know is a major pillar in terms of our well-being. And if you want to be a better version of yourself, you have to pay a lot of attention to that one. But how do you, how do you as a consumer or as a normal person um, make sense of all this mixed information that we get, all this confusion? So last week, eating eggs was bad, too much cholesterol. Next week is great. There's a lot of protein, whatever it is. So I think the, the, the challenge is how do we make a comp turn a complex problem into something simple to digest, into daily bites, into actionable points. And then you have the, 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 um, the, the levels of personalization you want to get to, but they come with burden as well, as Mike said. So do we want to then start talking about assessments and how do we go about assessments and are really clever ways of doing it? Or are we plugging in diagnostics? Are we talking about blood tests? Are we talking about, it's still a very small minority that would be up for blood test, even if it's home care to convenience. So I think the, the, um, the objective is how do you get the most of human performance without being a nonsense to people and, um, and, and knowing that life gets in the way as well? So rather than just saying you need to eat better and move more, so what? It's very hard to adhere to. Um, so we have had a few guests on the, the show previously uh, talking about this area of, of bad technology. Um, and a study published a few days ago by Dell um, Technologies with um, Emotive Health, and the, the founder has been uh, came on for a chat a few weeks ago, they uh, used portable EEGs to measure stress levels in employees using different types of technology. And they showed that um, good technology, when it works properly, increases work productivity by 40%, but bad technology increases stress levels measured by brainwaves and, and the EEGs that they have and actually can reduce productivity by up to 30%. Um, and so uh, this year has seen a, a huge influx of technology. So it's difficult to, I think it is very difficult for the consumer to um, distinguish and discern what is good technology and what is bad technology. And um, we've also talked about validation of, of the technology and the claims that uh, the technologies are making. Any thoughts from anyone on that? Um, yes. <laughs> uh, sorry. Go ahead, uh, feel free. Clearly, clearly 
7 p.m. is a great time for me for, 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 for having an opinion. Um, I think firstly, you know, if, you, if we're thinking about things like stats, um, I think you have about sort of seventy-five percent, eighty percent dropout of a of a of an application that's down um, that's been downloaded to be within within uh, six weeks. When when we began our journey back in twenty seventeen on this, we undertook a huge amount of re- uh, research, consumer research. We did it in the east coast, west coast of the states. We did it in um, uh, South America, and we, and, and we did it in, in Europe. And there were key themes that fundamentally. Um, Technology in inverted commas needed to, to to address in this space of of sort of consumer health, wellness, and performance. Firstly, that um, you know this this topic of simplification was 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 key. You needed to be able to give people um, 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 options, solutions, recommendations that were not confusing, that were easily understood, that could be digested in, in sort of bite sized bite sized pieces. Um, the other types of things that people wanted were uh, personalization. Uh, you've touched on it already that you know that's a that's a key theme. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. No one wants to kind of have this one size fits all approach. Uh, we're all different. We all have different needs, wants, challenges, goals to achieve, and therefore personalization is key. And if you don't have a personalized solution, uh, you you a high chance that you will become one of those those stats. Um, people wanted to have dynamic programs, dynamic solutions, because um, two weeks I could be on holiday and I need a solution that's going to recognize that, know that, and not keep pestering me to do something when um, actually at this particular moment um, I don't want to have to do that because that is another sure way of, of, of losing engagement. And another key thing was around this sort of support motivation towards uh, sustainable habit change and all of our uh, products are fundamentally built around this idea of creating a coaching experience, but is also supported by digital, uh, sorry, real coaches offering through the digital solution. Because effectively, we've been able to digitize about 80% of that coaching experience. We recognize that people still want to, at times, have a human in the loop, and therefore, that we are able, we have offered and able to uh, deliver that so that we have a partnership with. Um, with Premier Global in the UK and looking to expand that out to the NASM over over in, in the US who are the, the largest um, online uh, personal training uh, qualification provider. So we, we, we recognise that and we built all of our problem, uh, solutions, our technology to deliver that at scale and hopefully help um, or increase our chance of, of not becoming a stat. So that's what we've tried to do to ensure that we do not create bad technology. But then probably from a clinical uh, or validation, sorry, uh, standpoint. Yes, we are. Everything that we do is underpinned by science. We operate in this sort of intersect between healthcare and wellness. So we bring the science of healthcare to the fast-paced market of, of wellness. But that, that's all very well and said and good. And, and be, you, you'll be always be judged by results. And so um, we have um, a very interesting clinical trial soon to soon to kick off that fundamentally will help to validate the the methodologies, the, the, the technology, the approach to uh, that we've adopted with Sounds Optima to effectively uh, put a final sort of, I guess, seal of approval that hopefully we've created a good technology that is uh, that, that is also uh, creates um, outcomes and therefore is valid and, and worthwhile using. Now, if we can do that, then I think we're on to then the next challenge, which is then how do you then scale that? How do you take that from 
um, a, a pilot or, or other into something that becomes mass market. That's a challenge, but an exciting challenge and one that we are we're, we're, we're very much looking forward to um, uh, um, being on. On the uh, subject of bad technology, uh, I think there's a, uh, different angles. One is that what is the size that underpins the technology uh, in human performance, and in many cases, it's uh, pretty flimsy and um, not really evidence-based and might touch upon that. I think uh, the other thing is, uh, and it's from my area, I, I, I've been in tech my entire career, and when I was at uni back in the 90s, um, using AI in robotics, AI was a, a, a technology in search of a problem to solve. So I see a lot of companies trying to just push technology for the sake of technology, rather than understanding what the real pain points are, and how does technology solve those pain points? Then that's good technology. I think bad technology is when it doesn't take you anywhere, it doesn't solve your problems, and it's just a gimmick. And and uh, as you mentioned, they it creates anxiety. So rather than people feel like they are failures because they don't know how to use it or engage with it, but in fact it was really badly designed. So um, I think it's a combination of science design. Um, a, a deep understanding of the uh, of the subject and how to approach it in a way that's going to be successful and engaging. And um, we, we we as a company we don't like to cross the line into healthcare because we want to be uh, in the intersection of health and, and wellness. But um, I guess the, the the challenge is when you when you cross the line, what what tends to happen is that consumers they're so used to highly sophisticated apps and programs and then you walk into a hospital or a clinical setting and it almost goes back in time and analog and so i think we need to um to to, to combine the best in class engagement and sophistication with the solidity of um of science and then you get good technology so rodrigo and michael um you're almost operating in this kind of space of like what I like to call super health, where people are looking to kind of improve their performance um, and not necessarily kind of in the illness space. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what, what are you guys seeing in the metrics of human performance? So someone, so essentially from what you guys have described, seems like the technology's main purpose is for people to kind of use their data on these kind of lifestyle metrics and then make smarter decisions which seem to be pretty personalized from person to person. And then you want to use design and kind of the right interfaces to really engage the user for that behavior change. And that's where I kind of see health as well, and that's where I'm actually most interested in or I want to be operating in kind of with my career. So what are these metrics would you be reporting? Would it be someone's mood? Are they feeling happier? How do you kind of measure productivity? Is it kind of reaction times and how sharp you are? Is it kind of physical performance and things like you know, marathons or how much you can lift? Um, what are the metrics that a human performance kind of encompasses that you guys are looking at? Would you like me to go for it again? Or you yeah, go. <laughs> um, it, this, 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 this is meant to be a bit of a bit of a cop out question, but I, I, you know, we're, we're always looking at this from a from a case by case basis. So, um, uh, for example, when it comes to uh, one of the first deployment examples of our products, uh, which is in, in female health uh, for pre and postnatal, 
the, the, the metrics that we are looking at are, will be very, very different to what we will then look at for the McLaren race team. That would then be very different to what we'd look at uh, when we come and do some work with um, a, in, in a corporate uh, wellness setting. So it, it's very much about always looking at what is what is the uh, what is it that we're trying to to change. What what then is the the type of uh, primary or secondary, uh, otherwise known as a proxy measure for uh, for that primary uh, data set that we're that we're interested in, and then from that, actually, you know, can we effectively collect it in a low burden way? If we can't collect it, then we uh, in a low burden way, then we then have to think about what sort of novel, interesting ways might we be able to collect it that aren't going to feel too burdensome. So I, it's, it, it may not necessarily be pinpoint specific to, to, to the question, because I think that the reality is, is that we could look at a whole bunch of things. You know, we could be looking at sort of epigenetics. We could be looking at DNA um, if we felt that that was something that, that, that we wanted and would be beneficial for a particular use case, such as perhaps in a more elite sport environment. But that would probably, that's not necessarily really the area as such that we, at this particular moment in time, are playing in. That's not to say that we wouldn't do, and it's not to say that we wouldn't necessarily look to offer that up as a solution, almost as an add-on to the service. But I think that we would always initially try to keep it something that was uh, accessible on, on mobile phone at the very least, because that is the only way in which, at this particular moment in time, we can get mass adoption. And uh, I think the, uh, we, we can talk about uh, two different types of metrics, hard metrics and subjective ones. So subjective ones can be as important. And uh, I think the beauty is when we have the combination of both. And um, so you can look at uh, resilience and mood and you can have subjective methods of, uh, metrics of that. And then you combine with hard metrics and hard metrics can be uh, uh, mobility and mobility can be in different parts of your body uh, and also sleep. What we, what we tend not to do is to focus too much uh, on the raw data um, because we, we tend to um, either deliver an end-to-end solution as a finished product or we work with a corporate, so we are business-to-business company, in order to achieve KPIs. And if the KPIs are to improve performance, for example, in corporate performance, how do you do that? So there are a number of ways you can approach that subject. However, if you go down the route of uh, having a wearable, for example, um, that in itself is a cost barrier. That in itself will preclude you, for example, in the US, where you have a system which there's a payer, an operator, and, um, and the insurance company, and the reimbursement code, if your solution is underpinned by raw data that comes from the wearable, then it becomes a problem. You're never going to have a massive rollout. So, so I think the um, the solution for that is you utilize the the uh, um, the raw data as an additional stream of data to further personalize. If it exists, if it doesn't, you need to have very intelligent onboarding and subjective and uh, questionnaires, which are short enough to keep people engaged, but collect the right amount of information to start to personalize and right from scratch. So 
I think our approaches are slightly different in terms of um, how do we see the data. We see the data as the enabler to personalize and we work with the data that we have. So if we have more data, it furthers personalize. If it doesn't, if we don't, then we start to come up with ideas. It could be, um, so I'll give you a practical example. I And I might be controversial now. Um, I'm not a big fan of uh, food logging. I just think it doesn't work. People start and drop out. And that's just one use case where people use uh, uh, food logging, which is weight loss. And by the way, calories in, calories out. We know that people put the, uh, the weight back on. Um, so can you use then something like... Uh, uh, a frequency, food frequency questionnaire, and, and can you break it down into different pieces and then people start to engage and then you start to personalize the recommendations and then you turn that into the context of their lives. I think that's the goal because then you engage people and they stay engaged with you on the journey. And and back to, the, uh, to one of the first comments and I really like this about this show is about the habit formation, the behavior change. So nudging people towards the right direction. And, and I, I guess uh, one last point, because it's getting too long now, but uh, helping people to achieve their goals at their own pace. That's, I think, it's the main thing. Thank you both. So one of the um, uh, insights uh, from my work at Vitality is that, as you mentioned, um, the technology is just the tool. And without it having a broader program, it uh, the novelty will wear off and people will stop using it. But with the right programmer and particularly with some uh, clever behavioral uh, economic science around the, the program, you can keep the individual engaged. Um, so um, we should start, it's 45 minutes in, we should start bringing up people for questions. So if you have questions uh, for um, the panel, please uh, raise your hand or deposit your question at hbc.show. Uh, and uh, before we do that, I'm just going to do, I, I, I'm a firm believer in practicing what we preach. So I'm going to ask the panel if they're happy to share um, what they measure for themselves. I'll start with Sohe because I know that there'll be a long list. For Sohe. <laughs> Thanks, good. As I go through, yeah, <clears throat> it's one of my favorite subjects. So Marco Rodrigo, I think you explained that really well. Uh, I think maybe in a follow-up, I'd like to discuss kind of what McLaren do more specifically with the, with their, um, I guess, team as well on, on how they optimize people's health. Um, but yeah, generally for me, so I kind of toy with a lot of different things. Um, I used to use the Aura Ring to track my sleep. I migrated over to Whoop, and I will be later this week using Eight Sleep, so I do track my sleep. Um, then I've been using very because levels of available in the UK for continuous glucose monitoring, seeing how kind of my stress or my day activities, my food kind of change my, my glucose spikes. And then thirdly, I kind of do, do a lot of exercise. So I'm always trying to keep on top of um, what I'm eating. So I have tried various apps. Um, I think Food Vision was one which kind of used um, a camera to assess how many calories and macros. I've, I've actually changed to the smart plate now, which I'm trying. Um, and then kind of in terms of metrics, I'm looking at HRV, like you guys have mentioned, to kind of go to kind of stress levels where I'm at, my recovery. Um, my resting heart rate is a pretty good indicator of how I'm doing over time, more generally. Um, and so they would kind of be the main ones. And I kind of do get my bloods done 
um, looking at things like vitamin D, testosterone, etc., those type of levels, just to see if they're in a normal range. Um, so yeah, I am tracking a lot of different things, and I'm kind of looking more into kind of the mood side at the moment, seeing how I can get a good sense of how my mood is doing, because I think that's variable, and maybe that can be a good indicator with some of these physiological metrics. So uh, I'm actually trying to get the Amazon uh, Halo device at the moment, which is kind of a mood tracker. So yeah, I don't want to bore people because I've gone into this in depth before, but very generally, that is some of the things I'm looking at. A difficult act to, to follow, but um, I um, personally, I have uh, a profound interest in metabolism and nutrition, uh, but it's a personal thing, and uh, therefore I I have a, um, a lot of interest in gut health and uh, the superfoods. Um, I use uh, Inside Tracker uh, to to test and assess. Um, I follow um, the the some of the uh, usual suspects as well in terms of sleep, HRV. Um, when I do my training and, and do a lot of hit, I I keep a close eye on um, the heart band, but heart range. But I've been practicing a lot of breathing. And um, there's a great book by James Nestor um, about breathing and uh, in increased performance. So I can tell you, if you breathe well, you, you're going to reduce um, your heartbeat and you're going to increase um, performance. And, and again, goes back in my case. Uh, so I, I try to, to control those um, um, variables and, um, and then again, a lot of it around uh, nutrition. Sounds like a good book uh, because breathing is uh, increasingly recognised as important um, to maintain wellness. Michael, are you <laughs> are you uh, willing to share? <laughs> yeah, I was. I was fortunate. I was. Um, I was like in cushion when I uh, in in sort of Formula One. So. Whatever the drivers did, I kind of uh, threw threw myself into. So it meant that um, you know the huge amount of information that was that I was able to get on myself uh, at, at the time, be that from uh, you know deep dive nutritional analysis, uh, blood analysis, uh, through to things like um, uh, you, you know, full full blown um, uh, physiological assessments, uh, DEXA scans, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I effectively use that then to you know, help craft and shape um, you know, the, the, the performance recommendations for, for race drivers and would naturally uh, you know, use that information I had on myself to, to, to um, I guess, you know, self-guide and, and, and train myself with it. Um, and effectively, when you, when, when you go to that level, you realise actually that the, the, the mainstream um, solutions of no use and no value to you, unfortunately, <laughs> because they they, they, they they never give you the level of personalization that you're actually after. And so what then what then effectively happened was that, you know, I would then I was using things like heart rate monitors quite a lot um, back back in the day. Um, but it wasn't long really and, and, and this is also um, a challenge that I think people have to address when it comes to solutions. We're very good at being able to self regulate and being able to understand what's good, what's not. Um, and it's about, yeah, the challenge is to therefore keep solutions fresh. And, and effectively, it wasn't long before I, 
was actually I, I I would I was then going to sort of sporadic heart rate usage because I kind of felt that I within four or five beats I could pretty much tell if if a session was uh, going to be within within the zone and then it all of a sudden wasn't long before actually I, I wasn't using anything so um, I, I I actually at this particular moment I don't really track too much what I probably do do is probably the one thing that I don't think I um, that uh, sorry, the one thing that probably does impact probably the most in my life, which is around how much screen time I actually have. Um, but again, kind of getting pretty decent about self-regulating that because effectively, was, you know, that that the amount of time on the screen was then actually then impacting things like sleep. So um, I'm probably not a great example for current um, technology. Uh, usage and how I, I, I'm using it, but I have, you know, I've, I've used it over time to, to, to different degrees. Yeah, it's a good uh, variety of things there. So um, myself, as alongside the usual um, Fitbit type data, I do periodically monitor my blood glucose um, level, the continuous blood glucose monitoring, which I have found actually very helpful to not so much to change what I eat, but when I eat, particularly around um, training times. Um, and um, we recently had Tim Spector on the show discussing the results of the PREDICT study. And they are now offering home testing kits for gut health and microbiome. So that's something that I'm interested in doing. And I should be monitoring my sleep because... Um, as a doctor and work and spending some time on Clubhouse, <laughs> I feel my sleep has suffered. Um, so yeah, good variety. So he had to drop off. Um, he may rejoin shortly. So let's, um, unless there's any other comments, we'll move on to questions. Um, so Chris Shambrook, welcome. Psychologist at five consecutive Olympic Games. Sounds very impressive. <laughs> welcome. And uh, do you have a question? <laughs> Yeah, good evening. Yeah, thanks very much for inviting me up. And um, yeah, I, I, I had the pleasure of working with the British rowing team from Sydney through to uh, the Rio Games. Um, and also at Planet K2, we have the deep pleasure of working with McLaren Automotive um, uh, with the area of the business that builds intensely beautiful high-performance cars as well. So um, uh, Michael and I have threatened to have conversations in the past. Never got round to it until this wonderful clubhouse has uh, uh, given me the chance to listen. That's yeah, hi, Chris. Um, I, my question was, having worked sort of in the high-performance sport arena and, and where there's been loads of, the athletes are given loads of data, loads of information about their physical state, their sort of recovery state, there's all sorts they're given, you know, I, I was always pushing people to kind of start seeing how much they could deliberately take actions predict where they thought the feedback was going to go and then see the extent to which their actions change the data. So instead of being controlled by the data and using the data as validation that I'm on the right track, actually starting to take control of, you know, intentionally changing behaviours in order to see the feedback in particular metrics change. And I found that particularly useful with in the, in the Rio cycle using cardiac vagal tone. So I've, I've connected, I've suggested you connect with someone, uh, Michael, on um, Twitter, uh, Ian Wynn, who heads up uh, an organisation that uses some of that, but Ian uh, raced at the Olympics as well in uh, spring canoeing as well. Um, but, but that sense of I'm going to take an action 
in order to change the data in a favourable direction. For me, that's where we really start to use the technology in a, you know, a much more powerful way rather than waiting to see how we're doing. And I wondered if you if you've done anything, experimented with, you know, using it more as a feed forward mechanism rather than a, just a data collection mechanism. Yeah, um, uh, hi Chris, and uh, apologies for not having uh, connected face to face or virtually sooner. Um, a great, um, great question. I think that you know, if if, if you think about Formula One, for example, um, so much of the, the the design around the car is is centered around um, you know a a model of a car. Um, that's a mathematical model, uh, and then uh, running a variety of different um, scenarios to understand what happens to the performance of that car. So that that's fundamentally really what you're, in many ways, what you're you're suggesting. You know, if we do this, this is what we're likely to see. Um, what they what they then do on the racetrack is um, in between in between sessions, um, and also then uh, from. Um, a sort of Saturday qualifying and then into a Sunday race, they run um, based on all of the historical data that they have. They'll run um, sort of mock-up simulations to understand what happens if. So these what happen if questions then then um, gets the engineers to be thinking: <clears throat> what is the right decision to be making at that time? And um, based on that, you then get a prediction of where you would finish. Okay, now this is all hypothetical, but this, it's a similar sort of approach. And actually, in many ways, I I would I would like to think that going forward, that is the type of um, approach that we will be using um, in a novel, engaging way through our. Um, yeah, the 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 sales and, and McLaren capability. So effectively, almost saying, right, well, if you do this, we are likely to see this change for you, and then you do it, and then do you get get to see that change? Because that that's 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 a real game changer, and you never be unlikely to see um, too much of a change in the individual from one day to the next. Right, you need to see uh, adaptation and change, but you're probably not talking too long. And if you do, then then you know uh, you're into then the the sort of habit forming. So if we're talking about being able to democratise this to the masses, and that that's that's the that's the real thing that you're probably trying to trying to change and trying to move. But all of our recommendations are always about actually trying to um, um, uh, create a change that then has a positive effect, and that positive effect then leads to a habit. And that habit then leads to lasting behavioural change. So we are doing it. The the, the 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 use of the data is there trying to do it. But at this particular moment in time, it's using more population yeah, and best-in-class science rather than actually more prediction models because I think yeah, that's something that will, that will come in time. Uh, and maybe Rodrigo might have um, um, uh, something to add to that as well, perhaps. Oh, the only thing I would add to this is that the uh, um, how do you engage? It can be an athlete or, or the uh, any any other person. Is is that um, is to propose something that is um, palatable? And if it's going to be a change, how big of a change? So I'll give an example. We're talking to a um, a client of ours in the US, a very large apparel company, and they're talking about. Uh, um, 
Olympic uh, athletes and running. And um, how do you um, uh, instill change in people who think they know what to do? And, and that is through the coaches, for example. And, and when is the time to do it? When is the time that people are most susceptible to change? So probably it's not going to be the race day. It's not going to be when they're approaching to the, the big day. And, and, he, and we were talking about a, a redness score, which is based on data for fatigue and sleep. And would you tell them they're not good at that day and the day is the day of the race? 